First Timothy 5, verses 3 through 4, these are God's words. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. So for the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The honor in verse 3 goes two ways. First, it is... The honor in verse 3 goes two ways. First, it is an extension of that honor that he's describing in verses 1 and 2. There's a special... Uh, respect for gentleness, dignity to be afforded to uh, those who are widows. Uh, widows in common society are a lower class. Widows in the church society are to be the upper class. Uh, the ones who are uh, treated as the greatest nobility. The other uh, form of honor is the honor of providing materially for the widow. Uh, this was, of course, the honor of her husband, his privilege, his pleasure, and his duty. But now her husband is gone. And there is a number, a roll, a list uh, of those widows who are being maintained by the church, not just... Uh, maintained so that they have enough to eat. Um, you remember the daily distribution in which the diaconate began, uh, but maintained that she can continue to be a woman of dignity and not be uh, brought low in earthly terms by her widowhood, although she is brought low in affliction but a widow, who is truly a widow, as we're going to see, not so much in the part of being truly a widow in this passage, but in um, the forthcoming passages in the rest of the chapter. She is actually brought not low, but high, but up, by her bereavement, by her widowhood. For a true widow is one who has learned that the Lord is all her pleasure. And by his taking her husband to be with, with him, assuming he's a Christian husband, or relieving her uh, of the grief of living with an unbelieving husband, he directs her attention entirely to himself. More on that when we come to consider verse 5 and following next week. This week, however, it may be shocking to the church to know that there are women who could lose their husband, and they would ask uh, the church for financial help, and the deacons would say no. Not because they aren't needy, but because they have children and grandchildren. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home. And so she may be uh, a widow in that her husband has died, 
uh, but she's not truly or really a widow if she has children or grandchildren, for the Lord has spared to her those who should be taking care of her. And the principle uh, behind this is one that we have seen throughout the book of 1 Timothy, that the first place that we are to show godliness is at home. That before an elder may be uh, an elder in the congregation, or a deacon may be a deacon in the congregation, he must first be a godly husband, and a godly father, and the godly head of household. That this is the first place of demonstrating his godliness, and that if he does not excel in these, then he is not even to be considered for the pastorate. And of course, just last week in uh, the opening verses of uh, chapter 5, we saw uh, that this is not merely instructing a type of relating or communication or respect within the congregation. It's presuming that by God's grace, these things have first been done in the home. And it does have to be by God's grace, doesn't it? When you think about godliness uh, in interaction between husband and wife and parent and child uh, and master and servant, uh, you remember, especially, I think, the end of Ephesians 5 and the beginning of Ephesians 6, which is right there in that big argument in the last third uh, of Ephesians uh, that is um, a discussion consideration of darkness versus light, which begins, uh, which is picked up in chapter 5, and spiritual war, uh, which it goes into in chapter 6. And so there is the grace of godliness that is first and foremost shown at home. Piety, our religious devotion to God and the uh, acts that flow from it, uh, is to be first shown at home. And when God gives a family the opportunity to take care of their mother, the church is not to take that away from them or let them take it away from themselves by trying to put it on somebody else. We consider people body and soul and we understand the necessity and weightiness of the spiritual. And the Lord in his providence is giving something heavy, but something good and heavy to a family when the father dies and the husband dies. And the goodness of it then is to be communicated by the church. Since this is uh, a principle or a policy that uh, is shocking in the ears and the mind of uh, a culture and a church culture in which spiritual things uh, are not first and foremost, in which the providence of God is not to be con- is not generally considered, and when it is considered, it's not necessarily considered to be good. Uh, where we don't see Him giving spiritual opportunity to believers, left and right and everywhere, um, it is important that the that the church build a culture uh, of seeing the goodness of God in providing spiritual opportunity and that the home is the first place for it. Let them first learn to show piety at home. Now I think that we have at times, sometimes, in our home, 
done uh, by God's grace fairly well in remembering, not necessarily acting upon, but knowing uh, that the most important thing in a child's life is learning to live before the face of God, that the spiritual training of the child is more important than anything else. Uh, nutrition, physical safety, uh, let alone ridiculous things like that the child be amused or uh, not be annoying to me right now. But one of the things that perhaps we have not thought enough about is that this does not cease to be the case when a child is converted or learns to behave manageably. The most important thing in every one of our lives, all day, every day, is living well before God, showing our godliness at home. When you guys are in the midst of school and everybody is annoying everybody else and the few that just happen to be working really hard at a particular moment are very self-righteously indignant that everybody else is uh, bothering them. Uh, and it's not necessarily all the same people, but picking on any particular few, just saying the most important thing for you when you're doing your school is to do it well to the glory of God, to be considerate of your brother and sister, to be patient with the provoking brother and sister. For the one who's provoking, the the most important thing is to be thoughtful uh, of your brother or sister, prefer them ahead of yourself, submissive to your mom, cheerful and diligent in your duty, seeking to make the most of the time, etc., and then when somebody has a need, you see it as an assigned moment from God, uh, an opportunity to, to give, to help, even to sacrifice. <clears throat> you don't often have opportunity to repay your parents. Uh, you come into the world way behind them. They are physically and financially at a great advantage at first. And if the Lord spares you both, and you get an opportunity to repay your parents, then you see it as a way of saying thank you to God who gave you those parents, and thank you to the parents for whatever extent to which they took care of you and helped you. And in most cases, it is very great. It is similar by analogy, though, infinitesimally smaller by uh, intensity to our desire to repay Christ. You remember when he said, love one another as I have loved you. And he gives the new commandment in John 13. And immediately he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he talks about going to the Father and how they cannot follow him now. They'll follow him later. And the two are related. Because the Lord Jesus has not only just washed their feet, but he is about to go to the cross the next day. And the Spirit giving someone life, eyes to see and heart and mind to know the Lord Jesus and to trust in the Lord Jesus, to realize who he is and what he has done. We want to repay him. But we can't, first of all, can't reach him. Second of all, if we could, what could we do for him? 
the time of his neediness is over. But he is united to his church. And the time of their neediness is not over. And so he gives a way to repay him. Love one another as I have loved you, he says. Even a cup of cold water given in his name. Any good deed done to any of his littlest ones, he receives as done to himself. And so there's that motivation that here is an opportunity to repay one who I really don't have the ability or access to repay ordinarily. Well, similarly with the widow here in verse 4. This is how her children and her grandchildren should think about her bereavement. Here is an opportunity for me to repay one who has done so much, given so much, poured out her life, sacrificed her life for me. I am not able to sacrifice my life for her the way she had sacrificed her life for me. But I am able to give a couple hours of my day. I am able to give a certain percentage of my income to take care of her. I am able to set her up, uh, not merely to make sure she is uh, fed and, um, and clothed, but that she can live with the dignity that a queen in Israel should have. Uh, and so, let them first learn to show piety at home. Uh, and he adds to the repayment of parents the pleasing of God. For this is good and acceptable before God. Uh, so you're not only repaying your parents, uh, you are uh, provoking him who loves to reward on the principle of grace. What you do that is pleasing is not meritorious, in itself, Jesus is meritorious. Uh, but uh, what you do that uh, is pleasing, the Lord loves to reward for the sake of his son. And we love to please him who has made us and who has redeemed us. So that's uh, setting, that's setting the context and the tone uh, for the next couple of passages in this chapter uh, in which we're really going to be thinking about the kind of life that finds its pleasure in pleasing the Lord uh, and how that applies to not just widows' families, like in today's passage, but widows themselves uh, and then uh, the kind of life that aims not at pleasing self, but pleasing the Lord. For a younger woman, uh, the training years, so that when she does come to be 60 years old, like a true widow in this uh, chapter, uh, that she will have the heart and mind and not easily uh, fall out of it. But more on that in, uh, in weeks to come, Lord willing. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that in our house, the first thing would be to show piety, that we would love you, that our religion would be something that you have produced by your spirit from our hearts and so fills uh, the day-to-day, hour-to-hour of what we do. That it would not be something that is merely outward for show, whether um, at times when uh, we are gathered for worship as a family, 
uh, or just when we are gathered with the congregation, but that we would be mindful of you and seeking to do what pleases you, and that this would be our piety. Lord, help us to uh, develop this skill of mind where we see the spiritual opportunities you are giving us in situations that the flesh or the natural man would call hard, but which your spirit presents as opportunities for godliness. We thank you for providing for them. Forgive us for being uh, so dull of sight that the spiritual cataracts of our fleshliness keep us from seeing the the chances that you are giving us to repay and to please you. Help us, Father. Give us clarity of vision from your word. And give us warm hearts that are always remembering how good you have been to us. The sacrifice that could never be fully repaid. So that we might have from your spirit, flying to us, your son, the pleasure that we would take pleasure in doing whatever we can for you. We do pray that you would help us to heed your word and be shaped by it. For we are so needy of it, but, O oh Lord, you are so kind and good and powerful to accommodate, provide for us what we need. Do so, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.